previously on the first two seasons of the Napoleonic Quarterly. They had some problems with executing Louis because the, the apparatus, it hadn't been fine, fine honed, as it were, and he was also very fat and his neck presented some problems. The turmoil of the French Revolution sweeps across France. For a little while between the 4th and the 5th, it seems to hang by a thread um, whether, whether the defenders of the, of the convention will, will simply collapse. The European powers unite against France, but expectations of a swift victory are dashed. As the dawn is breaking, he's, he's got French columns coming at him from every possible direction. They're all around him. So in the end, it turns into a bit of a mess. The real story of continental power politics is the struggle over Eastern Europe. That was the end, and the phrase was finis Polonia, the end of Poland, that was it. The insurrection um, was utterly ridiculous. And further afield, slaves on the French colony of Saint-Domingue do something extraordinary and rise up against their colonial masters. The Grand Blanc, the slaver class um, from certain islands, actually contacted the British, reached out to the British to form an alliance and then aided the Brits in ousting the French from their islands. The voices you heard there were Marisa Linton, David Andrus, Philip Ball, Adam Zamoyski and Christy Pekikaro, just some of the historians and writers contributing to the first two seasons. Of course, there are separate interview episodes with them all for you to catch up on if you haven't already. But the big idea for the Napoleonic Quarterly's main episodes is that each covers off three months of history. There are three segments examining the biggest developments for that quarter and in between, providing their expert commentary and analysis throughout, are Charles Esdale and Alexander Mikabaridze, two of the foremost historians of the period. So far we've covered off 1792, 1793, 1794 and 1795. So now here's first Alex and then Charles on what listeners can expect in 1796 and 1797. Well, next season will be the one for the Francophiles, who will be rejoicing and celebrating, and for Astrophiles, or Habsburgophiles, to shed a tear or two, <laughs> because it's going to be a roller coaster of uh, experience. We're going to see uh, one of the most extraordinary campaigns in modern European military history, um, Napoleon's campaign in Northern Italy, a series of dazzling victories which by uh, the middle of 1797 have, have carried the French armies deep within Austrian territory and which see, which see Napoleon Bonaparte rise to a position of real, real prominence which is going to serve him as a, as a, a launch pad to even greater prominence shortly thereafter. <laughs> yes, the Napoleonic Quarterly has been steadfastly avoiding going all in on Napoleon Bonaparte so far, but such is the whirlwind coming that things are going to change very much in this two years. It's a, it's a great story, um, but uh, Bonaparte now has, uh, while he has established his uh, authority, he still needs to uh, show these generals and the veterans of the Army of Italy that he can general. It's still, the proof is in the pudding, right? The, will, can he win this campaign? This season also has a distinctly naval flavour, with the Royal Navy's commanders coming up against the Spanish, the Dutch, and even their own men. Nelson led that boarding party 
in what was quite an act of, of singular courage, actually, and definitely would have been a shock to the French. We'll cover off developments in Ceylon, in Haiti, in the Caucasus, in Ireland, in the Papal States, and, of course, on the Rhine. Charles is in great danger. This was the final opportunity that Moreau had, and he did not take it, and it's going to be, it's really dooms the French offensives on the Rhine in 1796. And the terror might be over, but for France there are still enormous question marks over the country's political future. The directory itself is pretty lethargic. They're very taken aback um, when suddenly there is this sweep of royalist deputies elected to that legislative body. You'll be able to hear much more of Rick Schneid, Rachel Blackman-Rogers, Jordan Hayworth and Ruth Skur in this season's episodes coming up, for which the plan is that the Napoleonic Quarterly is going to adopt a slightly tweaked production schedule, rather than each season being splurged out on a weekly basis with a long gap in between series. The idea for 2022 and thereafter is to roll out episodes on a fortnightly basis or thereabouts. There's something attractive, I'd say, about spending six months on each series. It's nice and neat if that makes sense. Um, uh, So squeezing that in means we'll have to do the interview episodes weekly, but it's mostly fortnightly otherwise, and you'll see it all works out very well indeed. So bear with us. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review wherever you deem most appropriate and help us lead this podcast to even greater success, which will allow the Napoleonic Quarterly to become more listenable than it ever has been in the previous millennia, which is quite a statement to make. So in the next two years, well, we have, what, 96, 97. Again, uh, this is an, a, a theme of, uh, of imperial rivalries, but with France increasingly getting an edge now that they have this Superman of a figure emerging that will lead them to ever greater success which will allow France to become more powerful than it has ever been in the previous millennia, uh, which is quite a statement to make. That threat of not just powerful France, but France that is becoming hegemonic, is something that will force European powers to swallow their disagreements and try to unite once more against the French threat. The Napoleonic Quarterly, Season 3, coming very, very soon.